When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. All right. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And hello, everyone joining us today. Thanks for being here. Here, as you probably have seen and heard by now, here is Dismembering Horror, and specifically today to episode 202 of Dismembering Horror, where today we are going to be giving our patented dismemberment on Cure from 1997. Cure directed by and written by one in the same Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Had you heard of this film before? No. All right. No, I have not. <laughs> you no, had I, not. I had not either. Cool. I still haven't. <laughs> oh, short-term memory loss there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I had heard of it. I had seen the director's film. Now, again, our memory loss. Uh, Pulse, which I recommend is good. Made a handful of years later. I Wait, did we do Pulse? We did not do Pulse. I think I've seen Pulse. It's like creepy, like ghost in the machine, early internet stuff. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Okay, cool. So uh, yeah, I was excited to see what else he's done. Certainly a master of mood, which we'll get into here. Anything else before we settle in with the trailer? Uh, no, just a thanks to Peter for last episode. For Scream 6. Yeah. Scream VI. Shout out. Hope you're watching, Peter. Check it out if you haven't. We're uh, As long as they keep making Scream movies, we will keep dismembering them. I just hope he felt comfortable in this, this abode. Yeah, our first guest here in our abode, in our, uh, our studios, Dismembering Horror Studios. Our, uh, <laughs> studios. It worked out great that you had this basement here. I mean, oh, I know, ma- yeah, making no use. Really of it rare basement in L.A. You know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, happy it worked out. <laughs> it came decorated too, like this. Yeah, looks great. <laughs> Why weren't we using this the whole time? I don't Tim? know. <laughs> um, okay, let's watch the trailer for Cure, and then uh, we'll get into it. Here we go. As I said, from 1997, Cure. Right, Cure. So, after the trailer, we like to rate the films we have viewed. 
would we tell ourselves, talking to ourselves, to avoid stream, rent, or buy cure? Why don't you go first, Ryan? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I've um I think it's a good enough movie to be a buy for sure. But I don't know. I was just feeling more rent it, like maybe not one of my immediate all-time favorites. It takes me, it takes the the I've mentioned this before, the whole like investigative detective genre. Which I tend to love. Which you love. I can, I do love, but will not be my favorites usually. Yeah. Uh but something like this is just so up my alley at the same time. <sighs> I'm gonna I'm I'm feeling conservative today, Tim. I'll say rent <laughs> <Okay>. for now. <laughs> Maybe I feel like, you know, when we're checking up in episode 300, if it's one of my favorites, then maybe I'll have bought it. It's one that I almost did buy today, actually. I almost literally bought it today, seeing that the Criterion flash sale was going on. And I just really wanted to show it to Terrence, my director of photography. Like, this is it, man. You see this mood here? Mm. But then I realized, "Ah, I'll just give him my Criterion channel login. So that's where I landed on that. Don't say that in public. <laughs> and, it's illegal. And it's great. Actually, probably uh, maybe another reason why they had all like, you know, on Criterion Channel, they'll have uh, full editions available, meaning all the special features that oh, come yeah, on the yeah, disc yeah, yeah, anyways. Which is great. Yeah. So I was able to do that. So just for those little reasons, I don't know. Somewhere between there for now, could regret it later. I'll say rent it. Oh... I had a really hard time getting into this. And like, typically, I love this genre, I guess. And yet, I don't know what it is. Maybe we'll figure it out as we continue to talk about it. But I, I just ne it never arrived in a place that I was like, yeah, this is my thing. Mm. And so I, I just can't be anything but a stream. I think it's good. And like... I I wasn't I didn't not enjoy it. I just never got into it for mm -hmm. some reason. So I I don't know exactly what was lacking. I mean, there's some really I mean, obviously, like you're saying, the mood, filming. I guess it may just be a story thing that just like there's just something missing. So I'm just a stream. All right. Yeah. Well then. <laughs> to give a, a semi-enthusiastic summary maybe would you be down down for that sure <laughs> um you got a detective it's a detective story i got all their names here takabe takabe he is married to a, a woman who has had uh, maybe this is my issue is that i was i felt like i missed something but maybe it just was never explained yeah. Why is his wife in the state that she's in, which seems like either like an accident happened or because it does it seems new. She has some sort of condition where she's just sort of out of it. And like conf she seems confused all the time and possibly has uh, telekinetic powers. Yeah, which <laughs> You sure? <laughs> <laughs> All that's in the opening. Right. And, I, but do we ever, we don't get an answer. No, no, no. Definitely we don't, we not. don't know exactly what's going on with her. 
Um, okay, so he's married to this woman who's suffering from some sort of condition. Uh, they, they're a, a, a series of murders starts up, and the MO of the murderer is uh, after, well, is to kill the person, the victim, by slashing an X through their right underneath their throat, essentially. Sort of their like Adam's apple, I guess. Um, and then they bleed to death. So the weirdness of the case revolves around the fact that all of the perpetrators of the killings are there in some form or another and have no real memory of like why they did it. They're in sort of a trance like state and they also don't, their memory is spotty enough that they're sort of in shock and are like, did I, you know, like, well, it's, I got that. It wasn't that their memory was shoddy, but their motivation was any sort of like, right. Right. They they were, they described it. it? I don't know. They were just compelled to and found themselves doing it. And so what the detective and his psychiatrist sort of partner are trying to deduce is like is there somebody else involved that's like compelling these people to do what they're doing and the answer is yeah and we meet that dude and mamia mamia is mamia mamia yeah that's right yeah yeah that seems right (laughs) he he's he's the uh, he's the well, he's not really the perpetrator, he's but he's the, he's criminal, the villain. <laughs> yeah, he's the criminal not-so-mastermind. Yeah, and he his whole thing is essentially to hypnotize people into doing things. Um, the motive is a little vague to me. Maybe, maybe it's not to you. Um... And then, uh, you know, the detective kind of spirals. He gets semi-mesmerized. We'll talk about the mesmer connection. I think uh, the detective's spiraling could maybe, uh, in the quest for meaning or explanation, is somewhat mirroring your questioning of why (laughs) the, the killer may have been killing. Yes, Yes, there is a kind of, I think, a potentially interesting commentary or attempted commentary. I'm not sure if it was, well, I'm not sure how deep they were trying to go with it, but I I think there's some commentary on like society. Oh, I think this went so deep. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, And, but it ends up that the the detective kind of loses his shit and, um, well, I don't know. Is it clear... I think it's unclear. I think the ending is unclear, purposefully. Yes, right. As far as so, we don't know if he's in a in in a hypnosis state or not, or that he may be the new one hypnotizing people. Because the, right, right, because right. it ends where uh, we are speaking today. As if you have seen the film, this <laughs> yeah, first time joining us, we're just here. <laughs> uh, you're in our room. We just watched a movie. You're you're here with us. That's the spirit. Anyway, yeah, so Telltale Ending, he's at the like coffee shop restaurant place. Right. Yeah, it is both of those. He goes from finishing a steak to getting served a coffee. And the waiter, she picks up a knife in a way that seems suspect. 
but cuts out soon enough that maybe it's not. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I think it's pretty suspect. Yeah. Well, it's suspect. But she, as far holds, as, she, she picks up like a butcher knife and it's like. Right. But as far as if she actually does something. Correct. We don't find out. Um, so, you know, in spite of him getting, well, t- killing the, the, the villain, the, hip, the hypnotizer, it's unclear whether or not, I mean, really, to, to me, it's, it's, it's left open-ended whether or not anything from his angle happened. Or are we just in his head? Well, yeah, I could kind or, of... Or are we in his wife's head? Right. I think we could kind of clarify, almost like audition in a bit, the last chunk third or so, we sort of get into that unreliable narrator territory. Totally. I where was, there's, yeah. there's something, um, he's, he hallucinates that his uh, wife has hung herself when she's just there like mm-hmm. doing dishes or something. Um, and they go on, when they're riding like a bus together and sitting in the back of it, it seems like dreamscapey. Exactly. In the background. And, and he returns to that bus by himself. Mm-hmm toward the end and that's where i started to go i don't even think i i don't think we can say what reality has been right. from a certain point on because yeah he has actually it's a big great long take scene where uh he he doesn't fall under the spell of uh mamiya's <laughs> um normal lighter technique for hypnotizing people but falls for possibly falls for the puddle technique right Okay, that's a pretty vague. That's what the I mo- mean. That is what the <laughs> movie is, though. <laughs> yeah, and this is just to get us all on the same page here, yeah. whether you've seen it or not. Yeah, there's there's six or so murders. Yeah, um, they're all they're all pretty unique to themselves, but end in the same you know mo of the the cutting of the neck. Mm-hmm. But in in order to take out the person first before cutting the X in their neck each of those has its own vibe to them, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Yes. Unique to their situation. Yeah. Like the cop shooting the other cop outside on a sunny day. That's right. Okay. Going for it. Great. There's our summary. I think we can move on to our next big section here. Let's see. Let's accentuate the positive a bit. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? I didn't say up front what I what I really loved about the film, which you know I mentioned mood and all that. I did love that. So as far as top tier, then the story, I, it was just one of those great, great what ifs or premises. Mm. That just sent me, to use the word again, spiraling in the best of ways of just all the loaded meaning behind uh, identity, um, our own identity, and how we try to pinpoint others based on their sort of context and history, you know, who they are, all that jazz. Uh, Yeah, that just went so many layers deep. I just was so into that. I mean, it it was great because you have like, you know, I, I do get why the detective story was perfect for this because you have this whole time this the the police force, this whole it's a mm. whole large large group of men trying to figure this all out, right? And 
they try to understand things like just with the basics, who are you? Then you have the dude that can't answer that. Why did you do that? I don't know. All that. And you can't even remember that he did it at all. So you can't even give them aware or anything like that. So just it's so fascinating to have that sort of whatever that logic is, that way of thinking that's very predominant societal way of thinking um, applied to someone who's just so in the moment. Mm. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think the... Yeah. It's it's a really interesting effect because both the, the sort of the victims of the hypnosis who then commit the crimes and uh, Mamiya as well exhibit this thing that that it completely reduces the interrogation to Mm -hmm. like pointlessness which i think is a really like if you start to think about what that even means right the authority has a tactic as to how to you know come to some conclusion they can't even torture it out of these people exactly and so that they've been completely uh, cut off at the knees or, you know, made impotent in that sense right. from that authoritarian tactic or, like, methodology. And they also are kind of... I think that big theme of, like, helplessness is, like, throughout in a lot of different ways. And it's, like, helplessness in the face of authority or in the face of certitude. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the psychiatrist doctor keeps saying shit like, no, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do you mean it's impossible? Like, what's impossible? Hip- hypnosis? Well, no, it's not. Like, we know it's a thing. Well, they establish, uh, when he's asking the other detected doctor guy about hypnosis, he's told that it... Uh, normally one holds their moral code when still under hypnosis. Right. So therefore we can conclude that it's impossible that, that hypnosis is the trick that's causing this, which is, again, it's just this certitude attitude of like the authority being like, no, 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 we know best. So therefore, well, that's what was so fascinating was that moral question of like, okay, so the main dude, you can kind of, by that because he's such a threat we can i don't know it feels right to like we could justify arresting him you know even though he doesn't traditionally have that kind of culpability but as far as those individual mamiya's victims who are the perpetrators under hypnosis of the individual killings like how that's where that gray area is of like it doesn't feel like you like clearly the husband is in is ruined Right. By the fact he just killed his significant other. He didn't want to. He didn't mean to. So how... So why it, did he? Right. And well, and nor was it his intent to. Someone else in the end made him. Right. It's inciting right. this. So, but, so just in terms of like identity and how we identify, we have the him that is that him did not kill her, but we do have his... <laughs> but his body... And his his actions at the time killed her. The him that's not the him? The him that is the him. The did him not- that is the him. The him that is the him. What? What do you mean? <laughs> the the him that is the you, Tim, all your beliefs that you do identify with. Yes. You yeah, if if you had 
killed someone like that under this hypnosis would, i wouldn't say that would be fair that that was tim ah oh oh yeah okay i get what you're saying but your body did that's right and your this is interesting because it is another it's sort of a form of autonomy yeah being lost mm-hmm. which is also i think uh, related to this other theme or this bigger theme of like authority be it's it's like the agency that is presumed by us having even an identity or whatever mm-hmm. is being taken away yeah and that's a really scary thing and it's the only mode that these cop people know how to totally exist in yeah they're the most sort of like living within these the the, the rules of very black and white are attempting to right which this detective was so perfect for all that because he's like can suddenly just turn hot-headed but we see he kind of succeeds the most when he's just treating it as it is he's not getting super triggered by when the when mamiya forgets something he just you know said uh he's able to do the most once he sort of slips into accepting that he says specifically i have been trained to not have emotion even with the the people closest to me Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting commentary too, because it's like your it's another version of stripping away a form of agency, right? To say I cannot have emotion as a human being is is wild, right? right? But like what we, he, we do. But what regardless. he means <laughs> what he means and what he demonstrates by that is he's can't he interprets that or is only able to He's not able to actually do that. He can only act like he doesn't have emotion. Exactly. Yeah. So he, it's a, it's a fallacy that he's told himself. Yet. So this is where it gets into like interesting, like spiritual terms, I guess. If just the idea of be here now, be present, be in the moment, all that jazz. Then we have the actual, you know, the bad guy of the story, Mamiya, who is completely calm and centered the whole movie. He's, when we first meet him, he's just like enjoying the beach, (laughs) you know? And he doesn't even know how he got there, but he's never, which was, he's never phased by any of this. Okay, wait, this brings up, I think, an important take on the movie. Does he not know who he is? Does he not? Is he also in some sort of trance-like state this whole time? Or, which I think is, that's a scary take on it, but a scarier take to me is the thing we've talked about before where, like, no matter what anybody says or does, he's fully psychotically aware of what he's doing and is just playing this game with everyone. Oh, like actually, like lying about a short-term memory loss? Totally. I even though the doctors are like, no, he for sure doesn't remember remember anything. Like, I don't buy that take. I don't buy that they could come to that conclusion accurately. Like he's stri- like my feeling was he knows exactly what he's doing. He's he is a master at this manipulation, and all of what he says is a part of the manipulation. So therefore, he knows exactly what he's doing. Otherwise, he couldn't. If it's like saying, "Does the guy who win who beats the the chess master at chess is he just a like a lucky idiot, or is he also a chess master?" I just saw this. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's kind of like there's no there's no rules for how this works as far as how much of his 
previous tendencies are still a part of him. So, but I definitely took it. My mm. kind of read on it was that he was college student, super into this weird stuff, maybe started killing people, then maybe not. But um, cause I forget if they say when these killings started, it, but it he feels like this is the first, like the movie is when this, the killings start. So well, the, the time frame that we have is six months previously was the last time his landlord had seen right. him. Right. He had paid a year in advance for his rent. And also six months ago was when um, he got that big burn on his back. So I right. think the burn triggered the his state. Oh, that's interesting. So what would what's the implication of that if there is one? If well, it's that he lost. Wait, <laughs> like why would the what what about getting burnt like that would put him into this? mentality i guess i mean if there is an answer to that like can we deduce i, I don't something? think it's important i don't know hmm. it's it's just something that's but like there. i wondered about that i was like what what's the significance of this big burn he has on his back and i i don't feel like i ever got i just feel something. like it would just get like it's not more than what i just said or is this a clue that around this time something intense happened maybe that somehow triggered this thing well, I do think it's interesting that it, there may be some connection to the the fact that he uses fire specifically as his main mode of hypnosis. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's something in there. I don't know. <laughs> we don't really get anything to tell us. I thought you just just seeing the images, I mean, such great imagery in this, but just like using the lighter to look at his old books on mesmer I, and hypnotism. I did like that. I, th- I thought of you there. I really love the visuals. Yeah. Like I love the style of it. Um, it's doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a like a term for this, but it's it's like there's sort of almost like a brutalist feeling to it. Yeah, everything's really gray and really like cement. Even the feeling. even any like sunny Concrete. moments or shots still feel that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's this. It's not sterile. It's more stark and brutal and and like oh yeah, and how and that- I love that how that extends to the sound design too of the the laundry the washer that's just oh, this yeah. like drool the uh carts getting you know metal carts getting pushed down metal metal uh metal uh walkways in the the hospital um all sorts of just oh elevators mm, yeah uh, uh. well it's all of these like the visuals and the sound are all like keying us into this this uh construct of of what can hypnotize us well yeah it's interesting because we have just the sort of sheer mood visual visuals and sounds of you know whether it's like the weather the the mummified monkey i love uh the old <laughs> not even what's the older phonograph the the wax cylinder yeah, yeah. in the drippy room and then you have yes like you just said the actual um the elements in the film that act as their own hypnotism like on us dude there is an amazing transition moment uh i believe let me think about this so it's when the detective so they've moved Mamiya to uh, like a hospital wing 
rather than keeping him in the jail. Mm -hmm. And that cell slash room that he has is very... It, it's like a really interesting mix of be, of feeling like a prison cell, but also having just enough accommodation. Like it has a second room. It has like a bathroom. And like, it's got these two little windows, like rectangle windows. And there's a moment, oh, I wish I knew exactly what they were talking about, but there's a moment when the whole tone shifts in the scene and like the lighting changes. Mm. It, it sort of flattens out and, and becomes a little bit darker. And then rain starts outside. So you realize like the, the, the effect they're going for is that a rain, you know, that a storm rolled in and the lighting changes as it does just oh, subtly. And that's when it puts out the lighter. Uh, eventually we yeah. get to that at the end of that scene. But that transition is really subtle mm -hmm. and it's so eerie and beautiful mm -hmm. because I almost at first thought, <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. My TV is is like going to sleep or something. You know what I mean? I was like, wait, wait, <laughs> wait. Is that a problem? Like, <laughs> I was also having like internet connection problems when I watched this. It was like cut out twice, which is really annoying, like interrupted the movie. So I was like, oh, shit, it's happening again. And then it was, I was like, oh, no, that's, this is the scene. Like mm -hmm. once the rain started, I was like, oh, oh, this is very purposeful. But the mood shifting that exists in the movie is really cool. Oh yeah, you even have just more like on-screen obvious like um at the beginning when Takabe, he's always second guessing <laughs> their names Takabe and Mamiya when he has Mamiya right after he first finds him in his like little is it like the closet like some other like little room uh and Mamiya's huddled down there in the corner and he like turns the light yeah, I think he yeah, he's in shadow at first and then turns the lights on turns the light on and then you have uh exactly what you're talking about. Super I mean, it sounds so lame saying it. He turned on a light. But like <laughs> it it does that mood shift just so much, especially when you just have these long takes where you really yeah. get used to this claustrophobic space. Um but then so much stuff with the sound and the visuals acting in that hypnotic way too, where totally. like even at the beginning of that trailer uh, that we just watched, where in that shot you have, he's just staring at a distant, it must be like um airplane tower or something like that. You know, it's just flashing lights, all these metronomic, uh, all this metronomic imagery, like super quick one when he's outside of the, um outside of the, the not laundry, the, the, the cleaners. Mm -hmm. And you see on the left side of the cleaners, super quick, there's like a metronome device going. Yeah. What else you have? Oh, and then just all kinds of just um cross lights, the flickering lights in the tunnel. And he I gets caught up staring at them too, as, as, as we do as well. And then um on top of that, just how it's edited with these, Sometimes where it just feels a little too quick when it cuts out or the memories that come in have just have this like flashes yeah. of, of like inside the brain stuff. Yeah. It feels or like inside that. the mind, I guess. God, I love is that. It's really a, like startling. Mm hmm. But in, you know, like, and I mean, there's one in particular that I was like, I don't even, we've gotten to a point in the movie where I'm like, I don't even know whose mind we're in anymore, <laughs> which I think is good. <laughs> yeah. Because we kind of get to the third act and it's just like, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Like uh, we, we, it doesn't even really matter anymore. Yeah. But you still, what works so well though, is you still have this thrust of, 
a detective getting mad at killer dude. And, you know, he's solving the case all along the way. Like, there's still... It's so bleak, though. (laughs) Yeah. God damn. I mean, it just really is like... This was an era of movies that, that like, the late 90s, pre-9-11... Yeah. There was this whole sort of... I would call it almost its own subgenre of movies that were just super, super bleak, like... I feel like we got to mention seven. A hundred percent. Like even Fight Club, like that the, the, another Fincher, that the main character through, by virtue of going through this thing, it's completely uh, pointless. Like life is, like they're not going to win, right? That the ending is that they, like they've either failed or they've, um, actualized the worst part of themselves. Yeah, well, it's... Or they've given into the the sort of darker shadow side of themselves. And, like, maybe they accomplished the goal, like they yeah. killed the killer. But that 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 even feels bad. Well, it I, feels like, oh, this... Like, we... They're... I don't want to say anti-heroes, but it's like the heroic... It's like the antithesis to a heroic character. Right. I mean, it doesn't feel like he did win exactly. He's, right. Or when he when he shoots him, I mean, my my read on it, what I got out of it is he, it felt like he was just so. I mean, we see this throughout the film. He gets so frustrated by like he just wants to shake the guy by the neck and say like, just remember, just tell me. Yeah. It's his frustration at this. I think difference of philosophies. The like, yeah. Give me your identity based on. All that we talked about. How dare you not abide by the rules of society? Yeah, it's that frustration of like, you can't just be totally non-existent in the present moment to moment. It's that is what caused him. And then it's so great when he shoots him because he's this this guy. uh, (laughs) What? (laughs) Mamiya. He's he's built up such this like Hannibal Lecter just kind of presence and allure uh, almost seems otherworldly supernatural. And we do have these like glimmers of supernatural stuff popping into the film. Yeah, so true. when we have Takabe shoots him, it's just like, there's something, I don't, you know, he, he just, you know, it's he, overkill. Yeah, he I dies. Mean, it's hardcore overkill. He dies just like a regular person. He shoots him in the head like seven times. He shoots him a few times and he's lying there that he, yeah, yeah really it's like, just dude, goes dude's for dude's it. dead. Like, <laughs> I don't know what what good this is doing, but I think that it, the what uh, Takabe thinks it's doing is he has to overkill this dude mm-hmm. because of the maybe magic or the maybe like the unnaturalness of all of it. I just thought this is that uh, venting the frustration. That's the same frustration when he yeah. threw the coffee at him I, through the window. It's so good. It's so good. I think that. Yeah, so the psycho the psychologist, I thought it was a psychiatrist, Sakuma, is this really cool counterpoint to all of this, too. Because he in in the same it, well, it's it's it, it, he's like the other side of the coin of the authoritarianism of the police, even though he's part of that system. He's constantly trying to put Takabe in check and being like, no, 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 don't go, like, don't 
don't go full force like you usually do or like mm-hmm. cops usually do. Like, give the guy a break. And this notion of like, give the guy a break like he's sick in in this circumstance is is that much more maddening because you're like, why are you giving this guy allowances? Like, we know that he's the culprit. Like, we know that he's killing people. And it's such a twisted logic because he's not killing people. He Right? So it's like the psychologist is right, but also feels wrong. Yep. And that, again, it's like push, pushing us into this realm of just like totally futile helplessness. You cannot combat this type of bad guy using their typical methods right right. like how do you win you don't win and and furthermore what does winning mean right and so it's just like it's such a gnarly like way uh, and and i think maybe this is the this era there was this this nihilistic sort of undertone to a lot of these stories well it's exposing something i think on a really deep level about the the our our justice system and that it makes no sense (laughs) yeah well uh, but also the time that we were living in Mm -hmm. we pre 9 11 the 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 80s and 90s in general for for the non-marginalized communities Mm mm-hmm was considered this like boon of of just like getting to live life and you know crimes down and wars aren't really happening in the way that they used to and like everything's great the suburbia bubble exactly and it was all bullshit right in a lot of like it was it was only great for certain people yeah and these i think that's why this this type of story started getting told more and more in that era is that in the same way that remember in in norway i think it was there were all these killings by like kids who got into black metal Mm. and when you they talked to the people who were killing people their their reasoning a lot of the time was was insufficient like for 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 us like we were like that can't be why you're doing this but they would say stuff like well we were just so bored like there's nothing going on life yeah. was too sort of whatever and i mean easy this was all good coming back talking about scream the original absolutely exactly right which was this year too same year so there's there's certainly was this thing in storytelling going on mm-hmm. I, I think and you know storytelling by virtue of what was going on in society or in the world right. at the time. So it's really cool. It's tapping into that. Yeah. Um, it's I, maddening though. Yeah. Right. To watch somebody just be like circular talking forever. Well, what's, what's so great is it's not just, yeah. Like what you're saying like that and what we were saying earlier about how maddening it is, how, how crazy it drives him. But we also have where Mamiya is, is he's doing more than just being that present forgetful self. He's actually doing, he antagonizes uh, Takabe and some of the other detective figures at the same time totally. with, via like getting at their sense of identity. Like while he is this like <laughs> yeah, calm yeah. Buddha state, you They're know, like, who I'm are no you? One. And he's like, who are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell me about yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, 
Like, well, can and then you when imagine trying to have a conversation with this dude? That's a, I mean, that's what he's saying when he's in like the room getting interrogated by like all the high tier cop guys. That's what he says to one of them. Yeah. But then to Kabe, when they're alone, he tells him, remember he gives that speech. It's like, you are neither the husband nor the detective. And that's what really gets to Kabe like under his yeah. skin. Yep. Yeah. He, he, uh, he, he puts it out there to him that, Takabe has no identity either. Yeah. And he's like, fuck you. <laughs> like, how, how dare you say something like that? Of course I do. Well, it, he wouldn't be that upset if there wasn't some element of truth to there. Exactly. <laughs> it's so Yeah, because his, I think, again, it comes back to this sort of notion of, of losing your agency or perception of agency, right? Like, he doesn't get to have the traditional life in marriage that he wants or or that society wants or whatever defines and he feels burdened by it he uses well the translation uses the term burdened like she is a burden to me and the moment he actually like speaks that Mm -hmm. he loses his shit Mm -hmm. you know it's like he's he's confessing a thing that and that this fucking guy got him to say that. Mm-hmm. And he just loses it. And it's so good. I have to say, like, I I know I've seen this actor in a couple things. He's so good. The main he, guy, Takabe? Yeah, his, so I, I think it's a really hard thing to not overact trauma. In, 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 you know, like, to overperform when you're having to do a scene where it's, like, traumatic. His performance of walking in on her his wife having hung herself even though she didn't really it's in his head but the performance there i was like oh yeah that's correct (laughs) that's how a human being (laughs) would react like he's like pulling at his face going like like silent screaming like almost choking on it it's so good it's not over the top it's not like I mean, it, it's just doing the thing that, like, I was like, oh, God, here we go. I mean, it's another moment where I'm like, I, this is too real. Well, like, it's, it's perfect, but it's too, it's making me want to, like, barf or something because it's so real. It's like, so that actor is Koji Yakusho. And it's why, like, the guy playing Mamiya, Masato Hagiwara, is, um, he's the perfect foil to him. Because I don't think Mamiya, even if he was someone who had a loved one and, uh, and you know, walked in, I don't think his reaction would be quite the same. No, he'd be like, yeah, okay. He would, he, I mean, he might do some kind of breakdown. I don't know. It'd be different. Very, basically, I'm getting at the very different personalities. Yeah. And on top of those very different personalities and just their essence and their being, uh, again, you have someone who's so just... Um, uh, immediate in the sense of his anger based on the context and then someone who's just as calm as could be. It's so good, <laughs> that contrast. And the, yeah. just their actors are perfect for it. Um, the, I, I don't know, I was pretty taken with it from the beginning, just as far as you had this, uh, the incongruous score that kicked in in the, and then, uh, right, like before you even have much of a chance to settle into that, the the first you know on screen killing happens. The guy beating his wife, whoever, with the lead pipe. Mm-hmm. It's there's just something so 
chilling about that where rather than almost having this, you know, I don't know, that kind of music cue gives you the sense of like safety or you know what you're in for. So it's just like right on the, all these themes we're talking about, yeah, it's, yeah. it's perfect because you go, okay, I, I have this context that's supposed to, it's supposed to, yeah, put me in a certain place. I know what this context means. It doesn't mean someone's going to get killed this way. And then when it happens, it just, breaks you right into it it's like when, during hypnotism it's like that yeah. sort of the, the thing that you do at the beginning to get someone off kilter it's like the movie at the way beginning puts us in that susceptible state like a real hypnotism act and just the like yeah like you said the incongruity of it all that's the whole movie the whole movie is like you know undercutting the the expectation or or the the thing that you're used to and being like, yeah, sorry, you don't get that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sorry. And it makes you insane. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Especially makes Takabe and maybe you insane makes me insane. Yeah. Just this whole movie, just all the repercussions of like identity. And I mean, yeah, we've already said it all, but I just love that kind of way that those kind of rabbit holes, it sends me down. I have a question about setting because I have not been to Japan and you have. So a lot of the exterior shots have this quality to them in terms of like the architecture of what we're looking at that seems pretty run down. Um, I can't remember what building it is that they, they pull up to at one point, but it, it looks like, you know, it looks like a building that was maybe made in the, 50s ish i guess it could be 40s 40s 50s it's got that architecture to it but it is run down i mean it looks like out here a contemporary like a contemporary building to that time out here that's just been abandoned forever um and i kept thinking like is this a it's got to be a design choice to be filming there but is that true to the buildings that those spaces actually were in Japan. So in other words, like I think they pull up to the, the building I'm thinking of, I think maybe was the psych ward maybe. And it just looked grim. I mean, it looked really dilapidated. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, and I, you know, can't speak to it that well, my memory is that it's like anywhere here, you know, here in LA, it's just depends on, okay. <laughs> it's, it's the runs the whole gamut. But as far as that, uh, that ward specifically, I remember in one of the interviews, I'm pretty sure that it was like intentionally, uh, made to be worse than it was. Okay. Cause I, that my take was, this is, this is by design that they're finding locations that fit into this design without maybe going too far into unbelievability. I think it was when you look at like even the um when he goes to uh Mamiya's apartment and it how run down that is. Well, I mean yeah. at the end when you have the puddles on the the floor. I mean I all feels pretty intentional. Yeah. Okay, so having said that, the I I particularly like that aesthetic. Mm -hmm. This like I mean, to bring up Seven again, like it's doing a very similar thing that Seven does. It's saying like, this is the world we live in and like all the cracks are showing, right? Like the stains from years of just neglect or just not like 
trying to keep things pristine is showing. And everything has that patina to it. And, and I think that, that the use of that or the design of that puts us again into this state of sort of futile, you know, maybe nihilistic, but certainly despair and like, it's just never going to get better mm-hmm. feeling, mm-hmm. which I think is really, really, you know, mesmerizing, so to speak. Right. Um, in particular, the shot where he drops his wife off at the psych ward and it's outside, but they're underneath a walkway. So there's, um, there's an awning essentially that runs the length of the walkway. But like the posts that are holding that awning up are just like rusted out, like metal, thin metal. Um, the there's piping like, like industrial piping that's all rusted out and corroded. That's like, running from the the roof of that awning around the corner and it just looks like a horrible place to be dropping your wife off at yeah you know and i love that in that scene it's daylight we're outside like in theory these are things that evoke kind of a, a, a pleasant thing and it's 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 doing both because it's you know and there's foliage and stuff around but there's also just this brutally dark kind of like dilapidated feeling as well. And the doctor turns to him and he's like, you look more sick than she is. Right. And it's just like, all of these things are working so well to get, like continue to get us in this sort of this feeling of like, nothing's ever going to get better. Well, that's, that's so interesting putting it that way in the historical context you mentioned earlier of pre nine 11, where, where, like before, like now it seems like, okay, we get, and this is speaking in like the very, again, just like sheltered Western world, uh, United States world, you know, you get what we're referring to, the safety of the suburbs, all that. Um, it's, how do I put it? It's like, I don't know, it's a different kind of depressing. Now it feels like we are aware of how everything is horrible more. So it feels like there's this active fight going on. <laughs> yes. And the problem is people, you have some people being like, oh, well, it's we, we got to put the feathers in our hat pointing to the left. And then the people say, no, we got to, you know, swing from vines in order to solve this problem. And it's just like, and they get super extreme anyway. So it's like this whole different other kind of thing where the pre 9-11, it seemed like this malaise of, totally. of just sort of this, it's it's like this forced acceptance that, oh, everything is okay. And will never not be okay. Yeah, yeah. Which is, this is why I think the movie thematically is doing a really great job. That is the macro sort of thematic reality. Mm-hmm. But the movie, the plot, the actual character plot is doing the same thing in a micro way, right? Like the villain is a hypnotist, (laughs) but the world is living in hypnosis already. Yeah. And that's such a cool, like back and forth to play around with and live in because we're like, Oh shit. Like, is he really the villain or is, is society the villain, which is something that is said specifically at one point. Right. So I, I just think it's, yeah, those are all really cool themes and like, it's it's sort of firing on 
the right cylinders or whatever you want to call it's it. It's the best. I think this movie was incredible. Yeah. But uh, let's see, I think, if there's anything not so incredible, unless you have anything else. Uh, the only other thing is the, <laughs> the pulling off of the face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah was yeah. right up my alley. <laughs> I was like, oh man, is, is she really going to pull that skin off? And then they just full on go for it. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, yeah. hello. Yeah, we didn't even touch on the, the carving of the X as much, but that's just this yeah, whole other. Well, you don't, we don't see it. We don't see the actual carving ever, do we? Mm. The actual mm. act of carving? Maybe a glimpse of it one time? Yeah. We see it. Uh, I think the really, there's a really cool scene where they're interrogating the cop and he grabs like i don't even know what he grabbed it's hard to tell but it was like a stirrer for his coffee or something Mm. it's like a little stick and then he like becomes re he gets back into his little trance like state and and the detective is says to the the cop who's you know whatever it's like making sure the guy doesn't do anything he's like just let him be like let him don't don't do anything don't stop him this is important and we watched the 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 cop who's committed the crime kind of in a trance walk over to this other cop and like draw the x with Mm -hmm. this this stir stick or whatever it is on him but i don't feel like and it's really eerie because you're just thinking well at least i was just sitting there going like the suspense of this is like right at the top because a i don't know exactly what he's holding i'm like if that's like a a wooden stick like he might just stab the guy in the in the eyeball or in the ear hole or 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 like in the throat with it like we don't know what's coming uh and so it's really effective in that sense and then he just does this weird eerie thing of just drawing the x along the guy's throat where every other uh, victim has been killed and the the unpredictable madness of it is really scary to me. Like when when you're out in the world and you see somebody just behaving unusual, it's really scary because you just don't, you go, oh shit, I can't predict in any way what this person is going to do. Right. So that's what's so incredible when it flips it toward the end, you have the characters who are drawing the X's and don't have a memory of doing it. Right. So, I mean, how, how is that fear different from you? Or, or how, how's it different from you then when you're able to sort of almost, even though you don't feel safe, you're able to apply it more safely to someone else, that fear of someone being unpredictable, but there's something so interesting when it's like, okay, all of a sudden you've just had a mirror turned on you that you did something that you have no explanation for, drawing the X's or killing these people. Ooh, that's, that's terrifying. Because then in that theory, that Tim should apply that same fear, you know? Well, to- and that, yeah, I mean, that I think that's the scary element of this story that it's really saying. It's like nobody's really safe. We're all already hypnotized. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I loved Mamiya tapping on Takabe's head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I also, sorry, I wanted one other visual too. The, 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 the ceiling above Takabe, uh, saturating. Yeah. And, and, and like droplets starting to form and then seeing the, the water dripping onto the lighter was the way that is shot was just so cool. Yeah. And uh, unsettling. Oh yeah. That was incredible. <laughs> so Yeah. 
I think that's that's pretty much it for me. I love the way that that cell is lit. Like the foreground is all sort of in this green hue and the and then the background where there is one light where the bathroom yeah, area is. Yeah, it's like the light, you see just the half of the bulb. Yeah, <laughs> very, very uh, unsettling. Yeah, it was good to settle in for that incredible long take with it. There. Dude. Yeah. I, I th- there was a moment when I was, what was it that happened? It was early on, there was a semi-long take on the roof. Mm-hmm. And Takabe puts his cigarette out in an ashtray and like kind of misses. And so then it <laughs> it's it's on the ground, but they dismiss it like they don't like acknowledge it in any way. And I'm thinking, man, from a filmmaking perspective, like you're doing these long takes. Do you for something like that, which maybe was just a sort of a a, a mistake, like the cigarette was supposed to end up in the ashtray, but didn't. Do you cut and you say, can we start over again? Because they were way far into the long take mm-hmm. by then. And I was like, I guess you just say, nah. Oh, man. Who cares? <laughs> who's who's looking at the cigarette? We're looking at him. I wasn't. I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. It just caught my eye. And I was like, oh, okay. what's going on there? All but, right. Yeah. The long takes are pretty ridiculous. Yes. All is to say. Yeah. All right. Let's see if there's anything not so ridiculous. Ooh, okay. In our next section, what did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> God, I mean, this is an incredible film. I don't know. You got to tell me what might have been holding you back. It's weird because this happens, I think this happens somewhat often with me in that the the sit-down experience of watching it is way less enjoyable than the discussion about it. I mean, does it have to do with little things like your internet going out? I mean... Well, that, that was very annoying. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's really how big of an impact that has. Um, this just seemed like so your cup of tea. I kept feeling like nothing. I kept... Maybe it's an expectation thing. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking we were going to get some bigger thing, like some bigger, like, uh, ramping up. And then in, you know, so in the moment I'm, I'm kind of waiting for a thing, which then, you know, my expectations aren't sort of met because I'm thinking about a different thing than what the movie is. And then the movie ends and I'm like, Oh, I'm almost disappointed. But then I think about the movie and I'm like, well, that's not the movie. Right. The movie that actually exists is doing another thing for the purpose of making you feel maybe like to undercut your expectations in the first place. Like that's like the theme of the movie. I mean, that's why. And so in that sense, yeah. it's like there it's great. Yeah. <laughs> but did I enjoy watching it that much? I mean, I where know. I was flirting, yes more, no. I was flirting more with a buy after, you know, I had to kind of. More, I'd watch it again because sure. we first watched it and then didn't record. Yeah. So yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't want to watch it again, but I have <laughs> to. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I had to talk about this. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, but I split that up into two viewings. It was raining when I started it, kind of just getting dark. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It, and it was, it, it's, 
like hearing you talk about the first viewing experience is always how I try to catch myself with so many movies we've watched as far as the like, okay, now that I know what it is, I think I would like it a lot better the second time because you just have all these weird expectations. I don't even know why I have them. (laughs) Right. I didn't go in knowing anything about the movie. So why am I even, I think it's like you're getting set up. Well, I'm often, I think, analyzing where I think it's going Mm -hmm. because that's part of the fun for me, especially with a detective story, right? That to me is like, that's what I like about them is getting on the ride of the like whodunit and and trying to figure out whether I can stay ahead of the the story. And, And when it's subverted, usually that's good. But it may honestly may just be this circular talking that is the villain's like mode is so annoying to me in, <laughs> in life. Like it, it, it like made me mad. I was like, God damn the, like that this is what this guy has to contend with. I feel like I maybe identified more with Mamiya and you identified more <laughs> yeah, with the cop. Probably, probably. Yeah. That's <laughs> that tracks between the two of us. So yeah, I just was like, Oh, it's this motherfucker. I was frustrated at their frustration. Yeah. Where I was just like, well, clearly you got to change your tactic, dude. Like, but if I'm really being like, okay, trying to be really honest with how the, the arc of the movie goes, I think, I think what it is, is it's almost too bleak for me which is crazy to say because I love bleakness. But the real climax of the movie is is that interrogation in the cell scene with where he finally gets, where presumably uh, Takabe gets hypnotized fully. And then the rest of the movie is interesting to me, but I almost feel like it's, it just fell kind of away rather than like ramping to a thing. Like I did not feel, and I get it. This is like the point of the, the way it's made is not to feel cathartic about the ending. And so like, I don't know. It's, it's about, I feel like it's you looking at the, look at it, look at it with the lens of like the hypnotism metaphor of being put under a spell. And almost that's like, the arc and even the sort of feel yeah. of the ending where I, I feel you with um, the sort of just like the bleakness kind of is a, that in itself can be a hit or miss thing for me. It's got to be doing something more than that. So why I think like seven is a masterpiece, a great film, but it's just not one of my favorites at all. And I think why I like this one way, way more, I think mm. it did so much just having that little, little bit of like flirting with the supernatural uh, in this one, you know, where we had the sort of the shaking telekinesis desks, you know, and then later yeah. on too, when, um, when he's freaking out, trying to escape the jail yep. and like different parts are doing that. And then you have at one point that one who knows more about the, the doctor guy, the detectives talking to, he says something when he's talking about Mesmer saying Mesmer, so there's something like, oh, r- rumors that he may oh, have been dealing more with like explicit kind of like magic, magic with yeah. a K occult stuff. Yeah, yeah. So 
yet we have totally, you know, the, the, but then they're talking about hypnotism as sort of like, oh, but you know, this was before hypnotism was accepted as a, as a medical mode to do these things, whatever. So it was just so interesting to have like this hypnotism, which is accepted by like modern science, whatever, Western thinking. And then as a bridge to this bit that just seems next to it. So it's just being able to have that like little bit of a is it isn't there connection to the supernatural is sort of what helped put me in that sort of like spell state of it all. And just why I like, I don't know, I think part of why I loved it so much. Okay, so, okay. I think maybe part of what it, it, I'm responding to in not quite being able to get in is that for most of the movie, I'm on board with Takabe. But there's a point when he starts to become unreliable. And I think why Seven as a movie works so well is that we are always grounded to Morgan Freeman's character. He's like... He is... I mean, the, he's the main character of the movie in spite of us kind of feeling like... Brad Pitt is. See, I'm like, where's the fun in that? <laughs> well, I, I'm not saying it has to be fun. Yeah. But I'm saying that it's an anchor for us. It's, a, it's an anchor for us to see the madness reflected back. Right? right. He gets to say, yeah, the world is horrible. And what I was saying was more like, where's the fun in anchors all the time? That's what I mean. <laughs> I agree. I, 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 I don't think it needs to be fun. <laughs> I know what you're saying, but I think that I the third act may have felt watching Takabe spiral while still having somebody to reflect that off of mm -hmm. may have made me feel more grounded to like the 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 tragedy of it. But without that anchor, I kind of felt I don't know, you know, like nothing is reliable right. anymore. Well, it's, it's interesting to compare it to Audition again, where that one went like so off the wheels as far as like realities and remembering moments. So yes. I, I liked that to that extent. This one I thought was sort of on the opposite end where it still felt like nothing was wrong. You just had more of these little clues that was like, okay, you could also interpret this as some other, you know, as the unreliable narrator, yada, yada. But it, it's it still felt so like straight laced enough for me to have that anchoring you're talking about where it's just like yeah still detective story he's going to get the bad guy it okay. never strayed from that for me no but i th uh, okay so maybe what i'm responding to that's making me not quite get in is that i think it's it's too middle of those two extremes that's why I was, yes i i didn't see it as a middle i saw it as a not doing as a, the low end of the spectrum sure because if you i could see a version where we get into that third act and we we kind of we presume that we that takabe has been hypnotized but we're not sure yet that whole third act can be like a ramp up where it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier until the point we go oh shit he, this all of what we've just watched is is him under the influence of the hypnosis that it's all this like dreamlike thing and that could ramp up but it never really cranks in that way and and intentionally i know that's not what they're trying to do 
But I think I would have gotten on board more with that either that version or the version where we're grounded to somebody else watching Takabe spiral and trying to rein him back in futilely, ultimately. Both of those versions, I think, are would be more potent for, for how I, like, where I want a story to go. Mm-hmm. This one just stayed right in the same level, and I'm going, uh, I'm waiting for a thing. Mm. And I'm not saying that it's bad, but it, it, it effectively doesn't work for me because I prefer the crazy, like the, the, the extremes, either one. And this sort of stays in this, it's like the metronome doesn't slow down or yeah. speed up. Well, if, if you had I'm not, someone, it's, I'm not saying it's bad. If you had someone else <laughs> there to be more of a different perspective grounding it, then it just wouldn't be doing the unreliable narrator thing like at all. Yeah, that's true. So that's why I like this, that little bit that it was at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you're, you're right. I do think you're right in also that if I were to watch it again, I, I I could let go of all of that. Yeah. And just be like, yep. So would you watch it again? I think so. I mean, it's certainly not an avoid by any means. Right. I think uh, you should check out Pulse and then that will make I'm you want to see this again. Yeah, I, I'd have to look. I don't think I've seen Pulse. Well, maybe we could do it in the future. Cool. All right. Well, let's see if there's uh, some things of note here. How about? I'm into it. All right. Here we go. Things of note. Things of note! (laughs) This should be interesting. So the guy who played Mamiya, Masato Hagiwara, did, did he look super familiar to you? I don't think so. I couldn't place it, but then I looked to see if, like, if I'd seen anything else he's been in. He's been in stuff, and I've I've seen zero of his films, so I don't know. But he's really like that quality that he has is really cool and and unsettling. And I'm curious now. I want to see what he's like in other stuff. Well, if uh, if you're curious about Mister. Masato Hagiwara, then I can recommend the uh, interview with him. That's a special feature. That would be interesting. It was really interesting. So he approached the project being super insecure. He was was basically saying no to the project, saying like, I can't do it. I mean, they're basically, he did, I mean, you know, I mentioned it earlier. He basically did see it as he was being asked to be uh, the Hannibal Lecter to, you know, the um, Jodie Foster and just cannot deal with that kind of pressure. So his agents, whoever said, just at least meet with the director. And the director uh, told him, uh, there's no, I don't want you to be on equal level. So that just, even though you clearly see he is, <laughs> it, it took the pressure off. Yeah. And then, um, and then, defer, and then he said, and all I'm going to ask you to do, we aren't even going to talk about the movie, whatever. I just want you as you, you just worry about showing up on set. And then so he'd never get direction that was more than like, um, just look around, like look around the room, walk around the room. So he was, it's so funny to hear him talking about it, Masato. 
Hagiwara, he said he he said it as as if the director hypnotized him during the shoot just to make the fun obvious comparison (laughs) yeah so like even when the interviewer asked like so that tapping on the head like i love that it's such a great moment he he, he's like was like i can't remember he like for the life of him couldn't remember how that came to be but he said it must have just been based on the general direction he knew he was getting that he just felt like doing it so did it Damn, um, that's, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And even, um, I kind of mentioned earlier, him on the beach, it sounded like it might have been one of the first shoots, but uh, they were just like, walk over there, then come and walk back and stand there for a bit. And so when we first <laughs> see him, he said he was literally just like enjoying the breeze and that's it. That's all he was thinking about. <laughs> hey, I, honestly, that like as an acting technique, perfect. Yeah. That's what you want. Um, Think less. <laughs> just exist right and then more on um i guess kind of the acting style then there's you know a conversation too with um the other um the other actor sorry we have their names right oh, yeah. here i just had it too oh. uh koji yakusho as takabe Who's amazing so good so uh he yeah he mentioned what was interesting was um the uh there was basically that the director does not did not want any rehearsals. So, so much of the, that sort of tension. Yeah. He was, he was saying a lot of the tension came from an almost like nervous energy or anticipation from like doing that long take. You'd say with like no rehearsals that he just really did want, you know what they say, the benefits of no rehearsals can be, which is a certain freshness to it all. So interesting to see how that applies to this story. Especially. Well, Um, speaking of him, He's been in he's been in some really good stuff. Oh yeah. I and I've seen well, I don't know. I mean, just the first four that come up, 13 Assassins, which is a fine movie. Uh Shall We Dance, which is amazing, Babel, which I never finished because I it wasn't my thing, but <laughs> got a lot of praise. Yep. And he's I mean, I remember him from it. He's great. Memoirs of a Geisha, he's into. He's in a bunch of stuff, but those those are the big probably Western movies that we know about but yeah he's he's awesome dude crushing it um and he had previously worked with uh kiwoshi kurosawa the director and went on to work with him more and it was interesting how uh this kurosawa not akira but kiyoshi kurosawa (laughs) got his start where he was directing what they called like v films or something like that but basically direct to video their term for that in japan so like he had just made like i forget what it was called you know like uh super cop one and two or something sounding like that and uh went to this company to make three and four of whatever this was for the this v series and um had also had the story idea for cure so when he presented that to this company they got really excited about it and before uh he knew it it just kind of ballooned to a a full-on bigger budget thing damn yeah it was interesting to hear too about the response at the time which was like uh he said people liked it a lot but only were really just sort of in the mode of following the story and that's it and as far as all the more filmmaking aspects and the sort of weirder under your skin aspects mm. to it seemed like kind of went just wasn't on a lot of people's radar at the time. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Almost, uh, you know, I don't know, an example of uh, these uh, these films, the tried and true films sort of standing the test, in time, test of time, though. Yeah. Um, 
And then some also just fun examples of, uh, you know, serendipity on on this film's side, where uh, that beach scene, they kept holding off shooting that day because the weather kept changing. And then (laughs) they are finally just like, all right, we got to embrace it. So, I mean, they have those beautiful establishing shots where you see the weather changing visually from a cloud, like gray to brighter. And then that's sort of then, I don't know, that all is so effective for what's going on in it. I wonder, too, if they connected that to the the bus shots, too, if that was originally in the design of how they were depicting that back of the bus where the cloud mm. i mean that's such a weird shot it felt like they're on their way to heaven or something exactly you know? i was like are they on a gondola <laughs> like where, where are they yeah. it was so bizarre but i wonder if that was informed by the beach shoot yeah it'd be interesting how they came up with that they didn't talk about that hmm. um but yeah, it just talked about how the weather, like they didn't have the means to fastidiously wait or plan around the weather. So just everything yeah. that worked out so perfect weather-wise with the wind, rain, and, when do you ever have and the, sun. The ability to play with the weather. Big budgets. You don't play with the weather. You, you just yeah, wait. You yeah. make it. <laughs> <laughs> you wait, you whatever, reschedule. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just knowing how key the weather was in just as a motif and mood for all this, that it worked out perfect was a lot of fun. Um, It's kind of interesting. He said for the lighter, I think it was for the first hospital scene or is the first scene where uh, the puddle is an effect, the hypnotism Mm -hmm. device where uh, that originally wasn't in the script or wasn't there originally, but I guess they figured he wouldn't be allowed to light the lighter in the hospital or something yeah, like that's that fair. or something about it didn't make sense. So when trying to think of another version of what it could be, that's when they came up with the water thing, which just of course fit perfectly came back later when it was yeah. raining is all meant to be. And then last on uh, some more ridiculous stuff, but um, the film make, there's a video essay called there is no cure video essay by Alexandre O. Philippe which uh, I've recommended before. He's the one who made the psycho shower scene documentary, <laughs> 78 yeah. over 52. Yep. Um, and he just went into that like ridiculous observation of detail that's, well, ridiculous, but it's kind of fun too at the same <laughs> time, where uh, right at the beginning when he's just basically talking up about the mood that the, the opening scene puts you in and all that. He specifies, you see, right after the table shake, there is 44 frames of the doctor's notes and that they're in German, his notes, which is Mesmer's language. And then that you see words sort of like in German, you know, but can kind of make out disorientation and schizophrenia, words like that. Okay. And we didn't really talk about the Mesmer thing because it's, I mean, I think it's cool, but it's not, it doesn't really make a big difference in the plot or yeah well anything. it didn't they but did. it is a cool historic i assume it's historically yeah. accurate right it's like where we get the term mesmerizing it is yeah, yeah. no it's it's a real real deal as far as real dude and real technique and all that stuff um have you ever seen somebody get hypnotized i've i don't know i want to say yes when when I was in, <laughs> I watched a bit. You remember the in a uh, Hellier they had that great hypnotism scene. Oh yeah, where they hypnotized an abduction into someone. Right. I uh, when I was in high school, it was like our senior year. They had a, a hypnotist come. Th- that's when I saw it was like our weird safe and sober grad night thing. But it yeah. just seemed like it was all kind of kitschy. 
It was, except for the fact that they pulled my best friend up on stage, who is the absolute last person on the planet who would <laughs> who would go along with this. And they, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even uh, claim to remember much of this, but the hypnotist got him t- to get up in front of the entire school, whom he hated, right? Like he was not like I, a, a social guy. And got him to sing Mary Had a Little Lamb as an opera singer in front of the entire <laughs> class. Did everyone applause? Everybody was c- completely beside themselves. So <laughs> like, we've get, like, there's no way that he's doing this. Like this, it was so out of the ordinary for him, which made me go, oh, well, I mean, I guess maybe there's something to it. Because there's no way he would have done that. To, like he wouldn't have gone along with it. Right. I've it was wild. I've like looked into it a bit. It was interesting. My dad, who's like super straight laced Western medicine doctor, all that. He, uh, you know, he had all these books on his shelves, and he had some on hypnotism. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing with this? And it's like, oh, I just got into hypnotism for a while. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you got into it. So did he, you get out? <laughs> so yeah. So he's he's done it. So I've asked him about it. In That's the cool. past, Yeah. Um. But then mentioning mesmer, I just want to mention again. Um. Or mention it all. I loved in this film how the just what you're saying about him i they i like that they didn't get into it too much there was no like kind of exposition scene that went too too far in fact what was so great the little touch that we do have of him when they're looking at him in the book is he when you you see his picture and it's completely like blanked out yeah yeah yeah. it's like you barely make out his eyes and nose and mouth and they don't even know what year he was born i mean yeah, exactly. Creepy. Yeah, great. just just like these little notes of let's make it a little ambiguously freaky and weird. And yeah, you know whether or not any of that is accurate. Who cares? Right. That's just right. adding to the mystique. That's perfect. All this. Okay, so I have one last question. Yes. Why is it called Cure? Um. I, yeah, I was thinking about it like... And, or, or, which I didn't look up, is there a, another translation of the title? I don't think so. I, th- I remember they were talking about cure like cure. Uh, but cure, the cure, the, like, I mean, it's not called the cure. But why? I don't get it. I'd see it as like something where they... It's something where you can't be cured from was sort of where I started going with it. Okay. And sort of the frustration in the face of that. And just sort of, you know, when you're talking about things right. on these like hypnotism, metaphysical level, like what's wrong with his wife, what's wrong with the main yeah. dude. It's sort of like incurable in a way. Is that how you spell cure in terms of the act of curing? Like, uh, like where, where do you use this term? Wow. Is it too early? I didn't have enough coffee, I think. When you cure leather or oh. or, or like a material. <laughs> it's the same spelling, it is. but probably a different numbered bullet point just in tra- the definition. But I'm just, yeah, exactly. I'm wondering if there's some, because that's in English, right? Like that's, that, like we have multiple meanings for this word in English. And so I, I just am wondering if there is double or or 
you know, layered meaning to the word that they're using in Japanese. And well, I, I just don't know. That would have and been it a, doesn't say like nothing I've seen says so. So I don't know. Report back to us next time. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll go down a rabbit hole. Great. All right. Well, I think that's it then for cure whatever that may or may not mean. Yeah. From 1997, primo year for all this dread, uh, all this rainy dread. Yeah. Great. Let's wind down with some quick recommendations for us and everyone here. Well, man, I, you know, I, I've watched a couple of things that I was hopeful for that just, I can't, I mean, they're just not good enough so you to can recommend rec- dead. So that bumps me out. So <laughs> that got me thinking about, uh, this actor, um, the lead Koji. And I think it, rem- it I, I had, completely forgotten about the movie Shall We Dance. I haven't seen it. It is it, it, it is so good. I remember watching it at my friend Rumsey Abood's house. Rumsey Abood? Abood. Rumsey? A-B-B-O-U-D. Rumsey Abood. Yeah, well, it's Ramsey, but it's like, it, it, he always described it and he's like, white people can't say the, the vowel sound that his name is supposed to have. So he just was like, it's just Rumsey, just whatever. Okay. <laughs> but it's R-A-M-Z-I. Shout out. What's up, dude? Um, he, he, like, I remember his, like, we were hanging out at his place and his parents were like, we're going to watch this movie. And we were like, oh, man. Like, we probably wanted to watch whatever. I don't know what would have been out at that point, but Mortal Kombat or something <laughs> horrible. Um, dude, that movie's great. And his parents were like, no, 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 you should watch this. It'll be good for you. It's like, it's, it's, a foreign film. It's like not the the shit that you guys usually watch. And it, you know, 96, I, we probably watched it in 97. I was, it was like on HBO or something. They were the only family I knew that had HBO. And I was completely taken by it. I think it was one of the early times when I was like, oh man, I'm missing out a lot on, cause I had very little exposure to foreign films at that point. Um, so my 17, 18 year old self was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, is there more of this out there? Um, so yeah, you like go watch Shall We Dance. It's is it so a, good? A drama? What is it? It is a drama. Uh the 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 easiest version of the story, because it's pretty in-depth, like, is that there's like an accountant guy who gets into like ballroom dancing. Okay, cool. And it like completely turns his world upside down in like good and bad ways and whatever. That but sounds it's, good. It's really cool. Great. I will check it out. I hadn't yeah. heard of it. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Rumsey's parents. <laughs> Paula and Camille. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to recommend Dead, the original Mortal Kombat. No. <laughs> no, my God. You know, I saw that five times in the theater. Well, that was the I, best, Tim. I don't I know don't how know. you can call it shitty. It's horrible. It's so but good. But it was like perfect for my like my 17 year old self or whatever i I rewatched it leading up to when that new one came out which was terrible i think yeah i thought and i don't know i i had so much fun with it the effects the kitschiness is so good (laughs) well you know here's my this this speaks to why i like the original (laughs) mortal Kombat. my recommendation here i'm gonna recommend dead Alien from L.A. from 1988, directed by Albert Pyun, rest in peace, recently passed away, uh, mm. starring Kathy Ireland, speaking in a ridiculous what? voice the whole film. So I was, um, 
Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome was celebrating their 10th anniversary by doing uh, 10 days of 10 movies for sale for $10. Okay. And I was like, anything I want here? And uh, the, the, the movie caught my eye and someone explained it as, oh, it reminded me of um, the Super Mario Brothers movie. No, which, which you love. I love Tim. I love it. And <laughs> I, so I got it and watched it with my friend and I just, I, lo- I did love it. It was great. So we have Kathy Ireland uh, is taken from I didn't know she ever did a movie. She, she tracks down her father who may be dead uh, some, some place across the world <laughs> in a plane ride that's just like one shot of her. It's great. And she travels underground to this whole civilization that's just like a weird underground people civilization. Mm-hmm. And it did, it's, you know, got a little repetitive or whatever, but just the sort of fun, like uh, futuresque apocalyptic design of it all that was so unique and just her mm-hmm. performance cracked me up and just all these great little design elements. I just, it was just hit my sweet spot. I loved it. And that's Albert cool. Pyun, kind of want to check him out. He did like Doll Man and God, what's some other like killer cop type or like oh. like monster cop movie kind of okay. thing i forget we're robocop but not robocop like a robocop anyway wolf cop not wolf cop uh <laughs> but movies like that they yeah. got these c-grade movies that have a great spirit to them so okay. i wanted to start checking out his stuff so it worked out that way too isn't it amazing how many movies get made yes it's amazing and that one was alien from la just tickles me so much check yeah. it out damn all right well, I think that's it then. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad uh, we didn't have too much of a short-term memory loss this episode. Yeah. It's appropriate. Just the, the, the regular amount. So um, <laughs> so in closing, I'm, uh, I'm glad we didn't have too much of a short-term memory loss for totally, this episode. Yeah. yeah, that'd be weird. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> no, we'll see you next time. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>